This is Talking Aerospace Today, a podcast for the aerospace and defense industry, a place that brings the promise of tomorrow's technology to the ears of our listeners today. I'm your host, Scott Salzweedle. Welcome to our new five-part series, The Future of Air Mobility, Zero Emissions Aircraft. This promises to be a fascinating series as we explore new ways the aerospace industry can deliver cleaner and greener propulsion solutions. So very important. To be more energy efficient, we're going to talk about how companies can solve the design challenges that lie ahead. Major change won't come overnight, but already we're seeing incremental change in fuel efficiency and sustainable fuels. I'm pleased to introduce my special guest, Dale Tutt, who is Vice President of Aerospace and Defense at Siemens Digital Industry Software. Welcome, Dale. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, Scott. Good morning, and uh, it's really great to be here today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you. We just have such wonderful discussions, such great topics, and uh, thanks again for being here. Well, you know, we, we just keep finding all these great topics to discuss, and we really, really get after it. We have some great conversations, and... Uh, Sometimes uh, have a little lot of fun, to be honest with you, and I'm so pleased to be back for a fifth season with you on this. I totally agree, Dale. There's no stopping us now. Okay, <laughs> so so let's get started. Thankfully, at this time in 2021, commercial air travel is starting to gain momentum as we get back up to speed. What is the industry doing to prepare for a greener future in air mobility? It is good to see that uh, the airline industry is starting to pick back up again and that we uh are starting to make progress and, and that'll be good for everyone in the industry. And, and we're, we're pleased to see that. But in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of discussion about improving of the overall emissions and going into zero emissions aircraft and a lot of investment there. But before that, and you look out back over the last even 10, 15, 20 years, airlines and the manufacturers of airplanes have been doing a lot to reduce the, the fuel emissions. They're trying to get better efficiency of the aircraft as well as just better fuel economy to really reduce the amount of fuel that that's being used during you know, during the flights. And that also obviously improves their cost structure as well. But it's more environmentally friendly and it takes less oil from the ground. And so the industry has been looking at uh, fuel efficiency and, and reducing emissions for more than a decade now. Okay, great. So what measures do airlines have to, to take to accommodate? Uh, you know, we talk about these different fuel blends. I'm sure it's not a straightforward process. Something has to happen to, to accommodate these fuel blends. As you said, it's, we're starting to look at different blends of fuel. So not just burning pure jet fuel anymore, but looking at some of the synthetic or the, the biofuels, the more sustainable aviation fuel blends. And a lot of times what these fuels are is they're a mix of jet fuel with biofuel mixers, and maybe it's like a 50-50 mix. And so when you start looking at different fuel systems or different fuel blends, sometimes you have to look at changes to your fuel system, the types of gaskets or seals that you might use. You have to look at the you know, changes to the materials as well as, uh, as to the, the fuel air mix inside of the engine. And so companies are, when they start looking at different fuels, they have to look at how the the airplane is designed and how the engine is running when they're looking at these different fuel blends. I do believe there's already an initiative in place called Sustainable Aviation Fuels, or SAF. So does SAF help with the retrofits? Absolutely. And I think, as I said, since it's not a pure biofuel, it's a blend of about 50% jet fuel and 50% biofuel. And the benefit of this is that it 
burn similar enough to the current fuels that they don't have to make as many changes to the fuel systems. They don't have to make as many changes to the engines. And so it gives the, it gives the airlines some flexibility to learn to, you know, to be able to burn different kinds of fuels. And so, and it really has made a difference. I think when you look at some of these, these blends like the uh, sustainable aviation fuels, they're seeing in some, in some cases that they're reducing hydrocarbons over like 80% of the life cycle of that, of that fuel. So, it does make a difference uh, when you start burning it and, it and it's being done. You know, they're using a lot of waste products in some cases and, and it's being done in a much more sustainable way. And so it shows great promise in the near term to reduce the amount of oil usage as well as reducing the amount of emissions that they have. We're going to talk about zero emissions in just a minute, but this is such an important topic. And really, zero emissions, that's a little bit out there. But it's important for our listeners to understand that aircraft companies and OEMs are doing a lot right now today to improve fuel efficiency and emissions. There really has been a lot of incremental progress on improving fuel economy uh, and reducing emissions over the years. And we see this in advancements in the engine technology that the newer engines are much more fuel efficient just changing the engines out, you get a benefit. But you know, then you start to look at some of the newer airplanes like the 787, the Boeing 787. It's a great example. And I think at the time they were saying that it's, it was going to be 30% more efficient than some of its predecessors. And you know, that's pretty significant when you think about you know, some of these long routes that these airlines are flying on. If you're improving the, the fuel efficiency by 30%, that's, that's a pretty huge improvement. And they did it through a combination of things. They looked at how did they improve the aerodynamics of the airplane to make sure that they have better airflow over all the surfaces, that they had less drag. They looked at more electric aircraft systems. So they replaced, in some cases, a traditional mechanical system, such as a pneumatic system, with a uh, electrically driven system. Uh, so that they weren't, re, you know, pulling bleed air off the engines, and they weren't they weren't extracting like mechanical energy off the engine in form of like a hydraulic motor. So this is pretty important when you think about it. It's when you're extracting energy off of the engine in in the form of a generator. An electrical generator might be 93 percent efficient, and you have very good efficiency of the electro electrical systems. Whereas the mechanical systems, maybe that's at like seventy percent efficiency, and so so you get a you get a nice increase in in the efficiency of the components of systems on the airplane, and that results in less fuel being burned uh, for that particular mission. And then I think you know just generally, as I mentioned earlier, the engines just being a lot more efficient at burning fuel. You know they're getting. 10, 20% more efficient than they were a couple decades ago. So you continue to see advancements in all three phases of flight, the aerodynamics, the systems on the aircraft and how they're using energy and the engines themselves. That sounds wonderful. So we are getting there slowly but surely. You mentioned Boeing and uh, I just thought of the uh, press release issued earlier this year around a a whole new aircraft. I I guess they're calling it the 5X project. So I'm wondering if you've heard anything about this new project. And also, I would hope there'd be some new innovations regarding fuel emissions with this new aircraft. I'm not sure if you know what's going on, but wow, this this is a promising thing that uh, to look forward to. A couple of years ago, Boeing was looking at a new mid-body aircraft and um, they were looking at you know developing a new airplane and that was put on hold but there's been some discussions there's been a few press releases about the fact that they are looking at developing a new aircraft and they've obviously not released any details yet for competitive reasons but i think it's safe to say like many of the past boeing programs 
and past Airbus programs that you will see advancements in in fuel economy, fuel emissions, that they'll look to take it to the next level over what they've achieved in the last uh, decade or so with some of their, their aircraft designs. So yeah, uh, certainly that. And then the other thing they're going to see is uh, that they're committing to burning more of these sustainable aviation fuels as well. And so it'll be a mix of both. It's how they're designing the aircraft as well as the fuels that they're burning. All right, so let's talk about zero emissions. You know, it's not happening overnight. It seems to be a slow process. So what's the hang-up? Why, why is this so, like, five, ten-year horizon? What's, yeah, and actually it might even be a little bit further than that. Uh, you know, sometimes they talk about 2040 or 2050 for, before some of these new products come online or new aircraft come online. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is the airplane design itself needs to change. And so when you start thinking about hydrogen tank on the airplane, it's usually going to be under high pressure and it's going to be round and 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 maybe you are looking at cryogenic storage. There's just many different factors involved with the aircraft design. It's, and it's not just changing the engines and it's not just changing the uh, some of the systems on the airplane, but it, it can really be a pretty radical design change to the airplane. So even though it might look the same on the outside, the inside might be very different. And so that's going to take time to develop. And then the other thing is the infrastructure itself is going to have to change. You know, all of the airports have to be retrofitted. They're going to have to change. Well, the entire infrastructure that we have has been developed over the last hundred years, and it's based on jet fuel. And so all of your storage tanks, all the delivery systems throughout the entire airport are really built upon a jet fuel-based uh, system. And that structure is going to take time to develop. And so they need to find solutions for the airplane's designs. And then at the same time, they need to be working on the infrastructure needed to support that. So it's going to take time, but but we'll get there. And, and it might actually happen faster than we think. That's great news. Great news. Okay. So when you get down to it, there really are just two paths to follow when it comes to zero emissions, electric hybrid propulsion, and then hydrogen the electrical vertical takeoff and landing vehicle and the urban air mobility segment show a lot of promise when it comes to zero emissions. Yeah, Scott, they they really do. It's very exciting. When we think about the EV toll or the air taxis and the ability to fly above the gridlock when you're going, say, to the airport or going across town, but there's also the electric aircraft, uh, some of the aircraft like by aerospace uh, that they're developing for many different mission sets. Uh, just saw a story today where they're developing now an eight passenger electric aircraft that can go 500 nautical miles. And that's super exciting to me. But, you know, when you think about the changes you have to do with these airplanes that, you know, putting on the electric motors, now all the systems have to be electrical. And then you have to be able to manage the batteries and the and, and the weight of the batteries and, and storage. And so it does bring a new set of challenges, both to the design of the aircraft, to the certification, as well as to the maintenance of the aircraft. So it brings a lot of promise. And I'm very excited about the future there with these with these aircraft. But it, there are some new challenges. Exactly. So when we talk about the EV tolls, uh, design teams need to weigh those the issues between energy density and power density. And we hear that all the time. So if you could, for our listeners, explain energy density and power density and how those two relate to each other. When you look at batteries, a pound of batteries versus a pound of gasoline, you know, a pound of gasoline might have a hundred times more energy density, power density than, than the batteries do. So the weight of fuel that you carry is much less than the weight of the amount of batteries you'd carry to serve the same mission. And so 
you also have a volume constraint that uh, that aligns with that, that the more batteries you put on board, the more volume they take up. And again, that brings different challenges than, uh, than you have with, uh, with using gasoline or I should say aviation fuel or, or jet fuel. So it does bring different challenges, uh, to these EV tolls and, and how you have to design the aircraft. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about electric propulsion, but earlier we were talking about how electrification on an, on an existing aircraft also saves power. I think we, we talked about that Boeing 787. So we really need to make a distinction when it comes to uh, electric aircraft and electrification. There, there's, there's two really different applications here. When you look at the generator and an electromechanical system, most of those motors that are in that, elect- that electrical system, they are operating at like 90% efficiency. So when you extract 100 horsepower off of the engine, 90% horsepower is going to be used to perform whatever task is required on the airplane. When you convert that to electrical power, say through hydraulic pumps and then through uh, other mechanisms, the energy efficiency or the, the mechanical efficiency of those may be on the order of like 70% or 75%. And so when you extract 100 horsepower off the engine, you only get 70, 70 or 75 or 80 horsepower of work out of it. So you get less work out of it. And so that's the trade-off or the benefit. When you, when you start looking at these electrical systems, you're getting a lot more fuel efficiency. And another variation of that is some of these mechanical systems today are actually pneumatic. So you're now extracting air off of the engine to pressurize the cabin, to heat the cabin, to cool the cabin. And when you're extracting the air off of the airplane, off the engine, that's air that's not being used for thrust. So it's not pushing the airplane forward. And again, it, it's, it's, it's a, a similar efficiency trade-off. It's less efficient to take the air off and move it around the airplane than to put, say, an electric compressor on the airplane somewhere and, and use that to pressurize the cabin or to heat the cabin, which is something that they solved on the Boeing 787 when they went to a basically an electrically driven pressurization system and, and heating and cooling system. So it does really change the dynamic when you start looking at changes to the, uh, to the systems on the aircraft. Let's talk hydrogen. And I have to be honest, it, to me, it seems like it's still a very controversial subject. Yeah, it is a little bit controversial. I mean, it shows a lot of promise to be zero emissions because the output of the combustion products of hydrogen and oxygen is water. And so it's very attractive, you know, but there are some, there are some challenges and there are some people that, that, that see it differently. And obviously, you know, that, that one of the, Challenges is probably public perception. When you think about, you know, the use of hydrogen, inevitably somebody, you know, that might bring up the, the Hindenburg, which it was an airship that was originally designed for helium, but then was ended up being filled with hydrogen. And then, you know, they had the accident, but that, that doesn't mean that it can't be used as a safe fuel. And it is being used as a safe, safe fuel in, in, in a lot of applications. But then there's also detractors that, that look at some of the challenges that we talked about earlier with with how you need to design the airplane and, and the challenges with the infrastructure that feel that maybe it's, it's a little further off in the distance before we could actually get to a, you know, to a hydrogen based uh, aviation economy. Then there's also some of the basic facts about hydrogen and, and jet fuel and the en- energy density. And when you think about like hydrogen, it's about a hundred times the electrical power by pound times electrical power. So a hundred times better, more energy density by pound than electrical. Uh, whereas jet, jet fuel is about 40 times that of an electrical battery. So 
by weight, both hydrogen and jet fuel are more efficient than batteries, and hydrogen is much more efficiency. Volume itself is also an issue. You know, jet fuel takes about three times the volume of hydrogen but to get the same amount of density, but then it's about 30 times that of electrical. So, you know, when you think about the energy density and the volume and the power, I'm sorry, the, uh, the weight, you know, it does offer different challenges to the aircraft designers. And so, you know, these considerations, they really affect the range and the size of the air, of different aircraft and where you might use some of these different applications for uh, powering the aircraft. So when we talk about hydrogen, there are really just two different applications. The the first is hydrogen as a fuel, as you've already spoke about. And then the second is hydrogen as a fuel cell battery. Now, can you touch on the advantages and disadvantages of these two approaches? Yeah. So when you think about the first option, where hydrogen is directly the sole source of fuel, there's a lot of serious talk going on here. And this is where some of the investments are being made to take the hydrogen and basically directly run it to the uh, to the engines themselves and, and burn the hydrogen. And there are some skeptics there. And I think, as we mentioned, you know, it's, it gets around the storage of the hydrogen system and how you're going to, you know, design the fuel tanks and and get the hydrogen to the engines themselves. But there are people that are looking at it and, and working on it. But then, when you look at the second option around hydrogen fuel cells and and batteries, you know, some of this technology is still being worked out. And there's been some demonstrators out there looking at it on some smaller aircraft and who knows, maybe it's, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years before we actually see commercial uh, utilization of that companies like Boeing, Airbus, various companies have, uh, have, have tested hydrogen fuel cell batteries. There's a challenge with these batteries, sorry, with the fuel cells. And, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a trade-off that the, the, the fuel cell wants to be cool to operate at cold temperatures to be really efficient, but, the process of creating electricity actually creates a lot of heat. So the fuel cell heats up. And so you're, you're trying to find a sweet spot of what temperature you can operate it at so that you maintain that balance of good efficiency for creating electricity and getting the efficiency and the energy off of it that you want. So they're both very good options, um, but still need a little bit of work as we go forward. Okay. So dealing with hydrogen, I would imagine there's all kinds of design trade-offs. Absolutely. You know, when you think about dealing with hydrogen, you're going to look at what type of propulsion system you're going to use. There's concepts out there that use uh, traditional propeller-driven airplanes, some that are using uh, jet engines still. You're starting to see blended wing bodies, just different shapes of airplanes. There's a lot of work to be done in understanding how to store the fuel on the aircraft. And then you still have the trade-offs like we were just talking about. Are we going to use hydrogen to to directly power the engines? Are we going to use it for a fuel cell and generate electricity that then drives an electrical motor? So really are a lot of different things that we need to look at. And we'll have to look at the design trade-offs for all of that around you know, range and speed and and you know what altitudes are going to operate at. And then all these different shapes bring new structural issues and structural challenges or with different material requirements. And you have to look at flutter of these shapes and you have to look at the thermal management of all these electrical systems on airplanes. So, you know, as an aircraft designer, when you think about the, the aerodynamic shape and you, the aero structures, the design of the structures, as well as the design of the systems and the management of all those systems, it really does bring a lot of uh, interesting trade-offs into play as you design the airplane. 
Man, I, I would imagine there's just so much complexity and so much integration going on. And also so many activities that need to happen concurrently. It, it's just mind boggling. Yeah, it really is. And I, mean, I think you'll see some of the fundamental model-based systems engineering principles start to take the lead here, where you're looking at the different scenarios where you're going to fly the airplane and you're, you're looking at the, the overarching system of systems where it's the airplanes and operating in the, uh, in the environment, the airspace and the infrastructure requirements for the airlines that, you know, in the airports that you see. So this is a big systems of systems problem. However you solve one problem, you have to, it has influences on the other. And then as you get into the aircraft design, there's so many different factors in terms of how you design the airplane that becomes very challenging. And so as you go through this, Using model-based systems engineering with a good digital thread where you have that traceability from requirements into your system models and, and, and into your product designs and, and, and then even how you design, develop and manufacture the products as you go forward. There's a lot of tools in place now to really help companies and, and teams go through these challenges very quickly. Sure. So I would imagine no matter what type of propulsion, uh, teams are going to, they're going to need some kind of digitalized environment to cover all facets of design and test and development and manufacture. And so really we're talking about a comprehensive digital twin and digital thread, both of them being applied here. When you think about how do you solve these challenges, you have to have a rich, robust understanding of your product and how it's going to operate and how it's going to perform in the environment that it's performing in how you're going to build it, you know, how you're going to ramp up your production rates, produce quality products, and then how you're going to support it over the next 50 years. These airplanes have long life cycles. And so when you think about this need to understand your product, your production, and your product support, this is really where the comprehensive digital twin that we we have with Siemens uh, with the accelerator portfolio, having the comprehensive digital twin, this, that rich, robust understanding is going to be critical to being able to evaluate all the different options that are out there when you start thinking about these new new aircraft designs. And so uh, it really does play a major part in that, uh, in the ability uh, for companies to move forward with confidence in, in a, a very innovative environment right now. Exactly, exactly. Well, um, Dale, I have some very unfortunate news. We've already run out of time for this episode, but I really do thank you for stopping by today. Wow, that's uh, hard to believe. It's gone by so quickly, and we have so much more to say here as we go forward. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, here's the good news. This is our, our first episode. We have four more episodes left. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about some really cool stuff. So just for example, in episode two, we'll cover model-based systems engineering and how that's become the backbone uh, to getting things done. And then in episode three, we'll talk about product design and engineering Episode four touches on program management and execution. And then our final episode will wrap the series with the latest in intelligent manufacturing and supply chain management. Wow, that's uh, some pretty cool stuff there. Am I going to be invited? Dale, come on. Of course, of course you're invited. <laughs> See, it is time to stop the show. <laughs> okay, so at the top of the show, I mentioned this is a five-part series. And if, if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to listen to future episodes, please subscribe to Talking Aerospace today on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your favorite podcast. That way you won't miss a single episode. You can also check out the links in this podcast description. My name is Scott Salzweedle, and this has been Siemens Talking Aerospace Today. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us again for our next podcast. Until then, bye for now. <laughs>